You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I wanted to do a podcast that is sort of something I've done before in the past, but I think it's, it's so relevant and it's, it'll never not be relevant. And it's just something that once again has come to the forefront for me personally. So I wanted to state it again in the hopes of reaching somebody else out there who is thinking along these lines. And it's about social media and how it is the death of individuality. Now, you know, many of you are probably familiar with the David Bowie video from their interview section from, you know, like 20 years ago. Uh, It might have been longer than that, I don't remember, where he's being interviewed and he says the internet is amazing and it's going to be a very mind-blowing thing. It's going to change life on Earth as we know it. And the interviewer goes, well, it's just an information transference system, isn't it? And he goes, oh, no, it's, you know, much more. Um, And I'm not sure, you know, when when you watch David Bowie say that, I really have a lot of respect for David Bowie and the life he lived, way more than I do his son, who's proclaimed himself an atheist and, you know, got into it with me a little bit a year or so ago because of that. When his father, by the way, was went through a tremendous amount of spiritual journeys. I'm not quite sure, you know, on his death what his real, real spiritual beliefs were, but he certainly wasn't throughout his life an atheist or anything of the kind. So his son being such a snot-nosed punk to say that, his overrated director's son, that bothered me. It just bothers me when people um, can't respect their parents, can't respect the complexity of spirituality and the journey and the belief in such a thing. Want to just simplify life to some basic equation and can't even respect their blood uh, when their blood is taught that can teach them so much more about how to view uh, lots of things in life. That bothers me, you know, as a father of three sons, as a son uh, who always was open to, uh, you know, love his parents, both mother and father, and respect them and what they were there to teach me. So anyway, I think that what, what Bowie was trying to say about the internet, it's unclear if he was saying good or bad. In a way, he was saying it's going to be amazing and it's going to be very powerful, but he, you could tell, um, as someone who was very into how to manipulate uh, impressions and who maybe even could um, attribute his fame and fortune to image and the ability to portray himself in different ways. You know, someone who is very much into theatrics and drama and who, of course, was very talented musically, but also even more so, I would, I would argue, was manipulative and, and able to understand um, how to be a showman, how to attract interest, you know, how, to, how to stir up an interest in himself. I mean, if you really look at what a star he became and yet the, the albums he released and the hits he had, I mean, you'll never find someone less likely, seemingly, to be super popular than David Bowie and yet somehow he managed it. And then as time went on, his reputation preceded himself. And Bowie just became a superstar because everybody said he was, you know. And what's so funny is the reality is David Bowie never really, truly became a superstar until he was clever enough, once again, to reinvent himself and to come out again as the thin white duke this time, which was a character from from prior albums, but to actually reinvent himself with an image that fit MTV and to get himself on MTV with Let's Dance and that album. Now, a lot of Bowie purists and 70s rocks, rock aficionados, you know, hated that album. But the reality is there was a lot of good stuff on that album. Uh, And the reality is Modern Love is a fantastic video. And it really exploded, did very well on MTV, and it should have. It was really cool. And his image at that time and the live show that he put on, what was it called, Sirius Moonlight Tour or whatever, really made him, for the first time, really a legitimate, popular star. He had hits, and people that knew a lot about rock music and music in general, 
he was popular. And he was obviously very well known, was on all the talk shows, everything throughout the 70s and 80s. But he had never really become a commercial superstar until that album. And it's amazing that he did that all those years later because of MTV. And he was smart enough to yet again reinvent himself. So my point is this. That was still all before the internet. And during that phase where he had become super popular, he was commenting on the internet as it was coming into fruition. And I think that he's coming from a, he was coming from a very intelligent point of view as to the power of the internet. And I think being someone who is very spiritually aware and had challenged himself with his sexuality and his spirituality and um, had been through a lot of serious issues, divorces, uh, an almost debilitating cocaine addiction, dark period. Um, you know, he had overcome dark things <clears throat> and was able to reposition himself as more of a healthy, <laughs> productive uh, musician, artist who was more commercialized in a way that actually lost him some fans because they thought he sold out or whatever. But the point is, I think he's well aware of the darkness that could come from the internet. And I think when he made that remark, as someone that had been through a lot, he was commenting also on the dangers of the internet. And I think what we're seeing now, all these years later, um, is the danger coming to fruition. And what I mean is not just the crazy groups and conspiracy theorists who gather in back rooms and are able to build up support for their crazy ideas, unsupported ideas by their, by connecting on the internet, that kind of shit. Um, yeah. I mean, you're going to know, right. When you have mass communication capabilities and instantaneous communication capabilities, um, there's, there's a lot of good that's going to come from that. There's a lot of contact, connection, information, awareness that's going to come from that. That's good information to be aware, aware of. You know, safety information, art information, updated information. Like, if you want to know, oh, I, that album was so good. Who produced that album again? Boom, boom, boom. There, you got it. Fingertips. Any bit of information like that. Math. You know, just boom. Google's your calculator. You don't need a calculator. You have your phone. You know, you can use the calculator on your phone, but you just assume Siri it in and it'll tell you the answer. I mean, the point is there's a lot of quick information that come to you that can come to you by the Internet that's quite good and valuable. And, of course, there's a lot that's quite bad. And, uh, you know, talking about videos and porn and lies, mis- misinformation, miscommunications and 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 it's far too accessible, and it can rot minds and rot moralities and uh, distort thinking, have insane creeps, elected president, and so forth. <clears throat> but that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about that Bowie would probably had a probably had an idea about, and before he died was well aware of. I don't know. I haven't done enough research on Bowie's understanding of social media networks and his belief about it and so on and so forth. But I think I have concluded in recent just in recent years, like I got off. I was still trying to make do on Facebook in 2016. I I think it was uh, early 2017 when I finally shut it down for good. So I think I've been off there for four and a half years, maybe going on five years, something like that um, on, uh, on Facebook. But I stayed on Twitter and I've been on Twitter since 2009 and I still kept an Instagram. Now, there were t- two reasons. I tra- and I tried all the other ones and they're all gone. All of them are gone. I I've, I've, was on Snapchat for like a moment <laughs> and that was totally not my scene, not for me at all. And that's gone. Um, And I tried all the messenger apps. None of them are for me except texting. I knew long ago. I knew long ago that I wanted it to be straight up where I'm talking to someone who wants to talk to me. And they trust me and I trust them. And that comes from the phone number switch swap. And if we're still hiding and we're not comfortable to share numbers, well, then this communication isn't worth my time. I mean, I, I recognize that if you meet someone on the internet, you can't just suddenly trust them. And you don't want to just suddenly give them your phone number. But if you find them interesting, you want to talk to them a little bit. So there's got to be somewhere, I guess, you can talk for a bit anonymously. 
I, I, I notice I say I guess. Um, because I say I guess because that implies that you can really make anything worthwhile off the internet to begin with. And I don't know that you can. I don't know that you really can. I suppose you can make friends with somebody and, and, and have relationships that, I mean, I, I have some male friends and some female friends that I made on MySpace that survived Facebook that I still am in contact with. And I have some friends in real life that I used to see who moved away or, or we just drifted apart who I still keep in contact with. Um, but the, the, I keep in contact with all of these people now only via texting uh, and sometimes email, emails and texts. And I didn't have any problem transitioning from phony social media type relationships with these people to relationships where, look, if you want to talk to me, give me a phone call. If you want to see me, let's meet. If you have something to say and you want to chit chat, text me. If you want to say something longer, but you don't feel like giving me a call, email me. You know how to reach me. We know each other. Here's my personal information. That's it. You know, and I decided at some point that those are the only relationships worth having in life, real relationships with people that you trusted enough to share your personal information with and hope to hear from them. And if they wanted to talk to you, they'd contact you. And if they don't, you wouldn't hear from them. I mean, if you're only talking to someone on Twitter or you're only really finding out about their life via posts on Facebook, do they really give a fuck about you? Do you really give a fuck about them? I mean, if someone is supposedly a friend, but you only really contact or connect because of social media, what kind of a friend are they? Does it matter? Why do you need them in your life? And so to me, it came down to what is social, what are these social networks providing me? Friends that I don't, and wouldn't otherwise see or speak to, then, okay, if they're only social media friends, then what about being on there makes that valuable? What about their friendship is valuable as a social media-only friend? And what I personally discovered, and I don't know if the same is true for you, but I have a feeling it's been true, it was true for David Bowie and people who I consider to be aware, more aware of all things in life, spiritually aware, intellectually aware, artistically aware, sensitivity, sensitivity aware, like their, their senses in all realms are more aware than others. What I uh, found out is social media is more depressing than anything else. Holding on to social media only relationships is not worth it, not only because those very relationships are in and of themselves mostly depressing, because those people don't really give a fuck about you. Because if they did, you'd hear from them in your real world, on your real phone. But also because most of the people on those sites are posting things, as we all know, that are images designed to make themselves look good. To make their meals look good. To make their wardrobes look good. To make their traveling look good. To make their relationships look good. You don't need to look any further than... The recent girl, Gabby Petito, and her fiancé, Brian the Killer, going on a van trip across the country. And then she posted one video and within the same month was dead. And the video looked like they were just the most loving, sweet couple in the world. Wonderful musical choices. Really well edited by her. Brian was laughing at all the videos. Laughing as he killed her. And... Well, you know he wasn't because then you see, oh, he was screaming in a restaurant and the cops pulled him over on August 12th and, you know, he was shoving her and slapping her according to the witness report and he's just, just smiling as he tells the cops, oh, he's just having good fun, keeping her away, you know, away because it was just, she was crying and she gets worked up and he just thinks it's better if you, you know, get away from me, get away. <laughs> this is funny when you watch him. It's like, oh, yeah, you must have just gently touched her as you killed her. I mean, it's so funny that people want to think that if you're an emotional, passionate man, you're a killer. But then a guy like him who comes across as very soft-spoken, easygoing, is a killer. So wake up, ladies. Wake up. 
There's a little bit more to it than a guy's personality. Let's put it that way. And whether or not a guy gets angry doesn't mean he's a killer. Okay, that's that's nothing to do with it. There are a lot of very angry Italian, passionate men I know in my life who haven't hurt anybody ever. Okay, um, and so I think at the end of the day, you should look at a lot more than just temperament, because as Brian serial killer proved, <laughs> or Brian fiance murderer proved. His temperament seemed ideal, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. It wasn't when you really knew him, and there was something else going on deep and dark under the surface. But I digress. The point is this. Their social media posts on Instagram and the uh, video they put on YouTube looks lovely. Makes them look like a peace-loving, sweet couple that really just adored each other, both of them very gentle in nature. There really is nothing there that would make you think that a murder was in their very near future. And um, that, to me, just is a perfect example of the, not hypocrisy, that is far too gentle of a word for it, the uh, deceitfulness of social media. And the reason I find being on social media so depressing is because... It's, a, it's like a game and a competition, and the winner is the one who lies the best. And, you know, added to that, added into that, add into that mix the fact that everybody's free to be their most vile version of themselves. And, and then you have situations where everybody has to be proper and nice and prim and say everything as if they're in real life, which is bullshit. So you have a lot of different layers going on that aren't really, they don't really fit together, okay? It's like on the one hand, people are trying to be really phony and show themselves up to be great. On the other hand, you have a bunch of people mouthing off saying horrific things and just flipping out and being over the top because they can hide on the internet. Okay, I think both of those things are awful. Then you have a middle ground, sort of where people think that you should obey by all these rules on social media and everybody should be muted and nobody should talk about the truth. And that's the part that is completely incongruous with reality and life. And to say that, to say that you can't say the truth on social media because you wouldn't say it to someone's face in real life, well, I don't know about you, but if that's true, that's a sad fucking mistake that you're making and i think i know for a fact for example about myself i've lived my entire life uh not being afraid to tell the truth to somebody's face okay and as a result have i had conflicts yeah as a result have people hated me and do they still hate me to this day yes do i hate them well Let's just say I don't talk to them anymore. I don't like to use the word hate. Did I hate them at one point? Yeah. I mean, the point is I get over it. I tend to forgive and move on. But the point is you're not going to hold on to people as friends online in real life if you're being honest. And I think what social media has beget is not just the horseshit imagery that everybody puts out there and not just the vile hate that everybody's putting out there. I think both of those suck and I think both of those are depressing But to me, far more depressing and far suckier is the fact that somehow in the middle, people think the answer is to behave according to some sort of rules, some sort of ethical boundaries of what you can say and can't say. And if you can sort of massage your way through that, whether it be on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else, you know, and if you can be... You know, basically, we we talk about cancel culture. You know, it's not just canceling like bad behavior. It's canceling thought processes. It's canceling honesty. It's canceling the ability to be frank about something that might be controversial. Uh, Something that may be deemed hate speech, but isn't hate speech because it doesn't have to do with someone's employment. In other words, freedom of speech is protected even if it sounds pretty ugly about a particular person based on their gender or race or whatever else. The only reason it's not protected is if you're affecting someone's employment, see. What we have in our Constitution isn't you're not allowed to have a racist thought. You're not allowed to say something racist. You're not allowed to have an angry thought. You're not allowed to say something angry. 
there are rules that restrict it under certain protected classes in the confines of employment. We are protecting people's right to earn money and to have property, see, make a living. That's what the Constitution protects. But it also protects people's right to say things that they think are truthful, that may be controversial, that may start a fight. Now, there are limits on that if, there are, if it reaches the level of a threat of violence, if there is some impending belief that that threat could be carried out. But what I'm seeing on social media and online these days is people are just saying things they believe that are controversial and they're being shut up and mocked and shut down. And the truth is being silenced. And social media is, is, is muting everybody and neutering everybody and creating its own set of rules about what you're allowed to think and say. And that is some benign middle ground of nammy-pammy, wish-washy, completely boring, unexciting sub-thoughts. I won't even give them the credit of being called thoughts. If it's already been sanctioned by the higher-ups, is it really a thought? Or is it always already some sort of doctrine that has been put forth that you, as a plebeian, are just repeating like a mentally owned moron? Are you a puppet? Are you a person? See, to me, I knew from the time I was a boy, long before the invention of the internet, even before David Bowie commented on the internet, I knew that my thoughts and my beliefs and my passions were unique. And I was proud of that fact. And I knew that uh, when I stood up for what I believed in and said the things I felt and believed in, I, I wouldn't get the majority of the people agreeing with me because I knew that a lot of my thoughts and feelings on things were more minority. But I, that didn't mean they were wrong to me. See, I was raised to believe in like wonderful poems like, I chose the path left less traveled by and it made all the difference in the world. You know, when I was raised with the belief that Jesus went to those that were outcasts and he wanted to bring them into the fold and that the wealthy and the people in power, woe to them, you Pharisees and hypocrites and blah, blah, blah. The Bible passages that spoke most to me when I was a boy growing up, when I was reading about Jesus, the things that made me have strong faith were the very fact that Jesus himself was a trailblazer. Jesus himself pissed off the people in the majority and who had the power and the money, both by his thoughts saying, you know what, those things you're living by, that's not the answer. But also by him saying, hey, plebeians who are following these guys like sheep, come and follow me instead. That pissed him off even more, the way he was turning the crowds against them. So, I mean, in the end, he was killed because of it. He was killed because of it. He was killed because of the way he was speaking out against the doctrine of his people. And he was speaking out against the powers that be at his, during his time of life, living. So that was really cool to me. You know, that's what I liked about Jesus. And I always knew from, I'll give you one example. When I was in, I think it was ninth grade in high school. Back in the day, my high school was ninth through 12th. Um, I got on the morning announcements and I, I started doing the morning announcements and I got a friend jo to join me and I was funny and goofy and I, I enjoyed making people laugh. It came over the loudspeaker in every homeroom throughout the high school, all four grades. And one of the things I did <laughs> to be funny that I just to juice up the morning announcements because they let they let kids read them and I put in to do them and I did them for my two weeks with with my friend um, but I made, I made it became it became a stir in the high school. And one of the controversial things I did was when it was time for the Pledge of Allegiance and everybody stood up and I recited it. <laughs> this this is going to sound so terrible that Trump people would kill me. I said it in a sarcastic way. I said it dramatically, something to the effect of, "I pledge allegiance to the flag." of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, 
one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Something like that. I mean, I, I definitely didn't just read it. I don't know if it was that over the top, but I definitely, <laughs> definitely put a little kick in there. And my homeroom teacher, when I was back in my homeroom uh, after readings in the morning or before I went down for the readings, he actually had constructed over the, over the loudspeaker in his room out of cardboard, a fake loudspeaker. He took a picture of the loudspeaker and, and pasted it over top of a cardboard box and attached the cardboard box up on the wall, high up on the wall, over the loudspeaker, covering it up. And he, he, he enjoyed showing that to me. And he said that was because he didn't want to hear me and my morning announcements and the way that I did them. And so he was just covering up the, the sound of it. And we were taken off. We were kicked off the morning announcements. We softened it up. There were complaints because, of course, people said we were making fun of, not showing sufficient respect for the Pledge of Allegiance. So we softened that up and changed that. But we did other fun features, you know, where we talked when we read things, we made jokes about it. And eventually we just, some of the teachers, I remember uh, Mrs. Leone, the Spanish teacher, she loved it. She thought it was hysterical and thought they were great. But overall, too many people thought it was disrespectful, thought it was a little too goofy, making fun of things. They just wanted to hear the, the announcements, whatever was happening with the school. They didn't want anybody making jokes out of it. And so we were kicked off the air. But that's just one story. I, there were many in my, in my youth growing up. Um, but I also had many success stories. And that was a bit of a success story, by the way. By the time I graduated from high school, I was kind of a... You know, not only did I did I win uh, most likely to succeed a most intelligent, but I was also thought of as, you know, creative and witty and whatever. And when I went on Facebook years later, it was amazing the numbers of people who wanted to be my friend and who thought wonderful things of me, people I didn't even know back in high school. So I made quite an impression doing my weird little goofy things, standing out on that ledge, not being afraid. To, say, to be controversial, to be honest with what was true to me. And that's the way I always intended on living. Always, always, always. Whether it be with respect to in the ways of love, in the ways of parenting, in the ways of my employment. Being true to myself and honest and direct. And therefore, therefore, controversial. Because my thoughts aren't the same as most people's. And I'm not waiting to hear from 10 other people before I formulate my thoughts. I can have a developed thought on a subject all on my own. Amazing. Amazing, isn't it? That I actually, and you are too, by the way, capable of having an original thought without having to wait until other people already have it and tell you it's safe now. It's safe now to have that thought. Look, we, we went out on a limb before you and we, you know, we, we made it work for you. So now you can have it too. No, you can have it whenever you want, even when it's unpopular, even before people that have money and power made it okay. And yeah, you're going to take shots. People are going to rip you down. If you don't have any standing, if you don't have any money, if you don't have any prestige, and you come out with a controversial original thought, you're going to be torn down. And it's the same for art creations. Doesn't mean that you're bad if people don't buy your music or you know, make you an actor, make you famous, buy your paintings, buy your poetry. It doesn't mean you weren't any good. It just means people weren't ready for it or didn't get distributed or marketed by people who know how to manipulate and sell the way David Bowie did. So just because you're, you might be twice the artist Bowie was in some way or another, but half the marketing genius he was. And so therefore, you, nobody knows about you, and Bowie died a superstar. There are a lot of extremely talented and brilliant people out there who are nobodies. And every time they speak up, they're stoned to death on social media. Why? Because they're nobodies. And because what they're saying hasn't been sanctioned by the majority yet. That doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong. It doesn't mean original thought should be silenced. And to me, that's why social media sucks. 
It's not just the bullshit pictures of your food and vacation. It's not just the haters out there mouthing off like psychopaths because they're hiding behind the internet. Mostly, it's the nammy pammy, just lackluster, shades of gray, bullshit, phony, what's passing for truth crap that the vast, vast, vast majority of people are spewing out there on social media. And more importantly than that, the hatchet job being done to anyone who dares say something different. And friends, I can tell you, I've been experimenting with this reality for 20 years now. I first started getting on forum sites. um, Well, probably, I guess I got my first computer at home in 2003. So let's say coming up on 19 years. And from the word go, as I said, I've been me. I created my own website. I spoke out on forum boards. boards, And to a T, I've been silenced and ridiculed pretty much across the board. And the reason I really got off of Facebook was because there was only about 10 people that actually appreciated the original bizarre or interesting things I was posting on there. You know, I didn't have a ton of friends because I don't, again, I'm not interested in faking anything. I had friends that were real friends as friends on Facebook. But even only about maybe, I don't know, 15% of my real friends uh, really appreciated what I was doing and what I was sharing. My version of truth. My expression of reality. Um, I always believed and I still believe. That if you're going to get on social media, use it as an art form. Or if you're going to speak out, make it count. Don't be namby-pammy. Say something that might shake up the trees. And, you know, (laughs) what you find on a site like Twitter, for example, is when you say something like that, well, you don't have any followers and nobody gives a shit and it just sits there and nobody cares. But when you say the exact same thing in a comment to someone who has a lot of followers, well... Then you can really kick up a shitstorm. But it's all a bunch of hatchet jobs because the, the few out there, or, or maybe there's many, who knows, that actually read what you wrote and appreciate it and agree with you even, they're not going to like the post because they're not going to give you that kind of credit because they don't know you. And they're not looking to be courageous and stand out and stand up for something that may be a little bit different. But the people that hate the post, oh, they'll speak up in a heartbeat and they'll pile on. So all that ends up happening on social media is when you do something that's truly interesting and cool and creative and you're a nobody, you get silenced. True cancel culture isn't about shutting up some of these fucking famous people. I love Alec Baldwin's videos on Instagram. They're cool. But that whack job, he's a wacko, okay? Him and his whacked out wife. Him whining about cancel culture all the time. It's a joke. It's a joke because nobody cares if his wife is silenced for being a whack job. Look, again, I love his videos and I, you know, whatever. He's a cool guy, but his wife's a whack job. And so if it comes out that she was misstating things about her heritage and trying to be Spanish when she wasn't, And she gets embarrassed by that. Too bad for her. And the bottom line is cultural appropriation isn't too cool. But okay, other people have done worse. No kidding. But the point is cancel culture against the rich and famous. Boo-hoo. That's my point. Cancel culture against the rich and famous. Boo-hoo-hoo. Cry me a river. I'm not concerned about Alex Baldwin, his Alec, rather, Alec Baldwin, his wife, his crazy wife, who he loves like no other, um, or any of the other famous people online that are alleging that they were canceled out by one little misstatement or whatever. I don't care. Look, I like Matt Damon a lot, and I think he's come under fire a couple times now for next to nothing that he said. He's just kind of an open, regular guy. And he makes little open comments, and boy, they don't like him a couple times now. But at the same time, I'm not going to, I'm not running to Matt Damon's defense. The guy makes a shitload of money. He's been around for ages now. He's worked with every single great director that has ever lived, truly. If you want to know what actor right now, still in movies, has worked with every single great director, there's really only one. Most actors 
that become quite famous. They stick with one director and they do a lot of movies with one director. And then they branch out a little bit and they, and they are in movies of a number of other ones. But there's one that they constantly or often repeat with. But Matt Damon, man, I mean, you think of a great director. He's done. I mean, I guess if you think Alexander Enyarudo or whatever, the Mexican director, I don't think he's done a movie with him yet. He might have. I might. I might. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know how great I think he really is. I think he's a little overrated. But any other one? I mean, just just any of the biggies. He's been with, you know, Scorsese and Spielberg, and uh, uh, he didn't do one with De Palma either. But Brian De Palma hasn't done many movies in a long, long time. The Coen Brothers. Uh, just name it. I mean, go. I went over it once. I, I'm not going to sit here and go through the list. But the guys. The guy's spread his, himself out with all the great directors, and everybody's given him a shot, and it's been pretty amazing. So look, if, he, if his career ended today with the money he's made and the experiences he's had, he's had a good life. So cancel away, cancel culture. I don't care. I mean, I, I read the stuff he says, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with that thought, but hey, you're not allowed to say that in today's culture. Cancel away. Okay, well, whatever. But... What I worry about isn't the Matt Damons of the world or, or the Hillary. No, I'm sorry. Hillary. Hillary Baldwin. Oh, my gosh. How nutty. Hillary. Hillary Baldwin's uh, <laughs> cancellation or the cancellation even of Woody Allen, which I think after the fact all these years later coming back at him again is ridiculous with no evidence other than all these allegations and piece together bullshit. I mean, come on. Whatever. What do you want? Throw him in jail at 87, 85, whatever he is. <laughs> come on. With no evidence. Anyway, fine. Cancel Woody Allen. I don't care. But what I don't want to have canceled is you and I, folks. That's what I'm talking about, okay? We're the ones who are truly being canceled. Because those people, A, they've already made a fortune. B, they already have tons of people that will support them, even as they're quote-unquote canceled. C, they have a tremendous amount of power, and responsibility comes with power. So if they fucked up and said or did something wrong, look... You gotta you gotta reel it in a bit when you have a lot of people watching and listening, and that's one of the great reasons we shouldn't want to be famous or powerful, right? Because we get to be more true to ourselves. We don't have to worry about all the consequences of what we say when we're just regular people. We get to be real, honest, truthful, regular, you know. But guess what? No, we don't. Not on social media. No, no, no. Now. We are held to the same standard as famous people and governors and presidents. Now, all of a sudden, we have to speak just in niceties. And we have to believe in the, in the philosophy. If you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. And we just have to be that way all the time. Which, of course, if everyone was that way, we'd still think the earth was flat. If everyone was that way, we still wouldn't have a television or anything else that was invented because you know what? Those things came to the forefront and became something that we all embrace and now live with because someone had the guts to stand up and say something that others didn't want to hear. Do you think that we've ever had an invention or an important progression in our society that didn't mean the defeat of something else? I mean, right now we have climate change. And we got the oil producers, and they don't want to go out of business. So we've got this tremendous dispute and battle going on between how do we transform old money and old oil into new technology that can help save the planet. But it's a, it's a real uphill battle because of all the money out there behind fossil fuel, etc. But it's something we have to do as citizens, right? The point is you have to stand up for the truth. And you have to be controversial or the earth will die. So what's the difference between that and even a smaller issue? None. There is, I submit to you, there is no difference. We've got to be able as human beings to say our truth, even if it's just related to our personal lives. And we shouldn't be shut down and shunned and mocked and ridiculed and ripped apart. We shouldn't have hatchet jobs done to us like they are done on social media, uh, just because, you know, people have decided in their, in their group wisdom to mute, neuter, and silence certain forms of statements or thoughts. That's not okay. It's basically censorship. And I think 
That's what social media is most guilty of. Not just the fabrication and manipulation of imagery, not just the proliferation of misinformation, not just the proliferation of hatred and hate speech. All of those are ugly repercussions, too, of the Internet. But to me, the most important is the most overlooked, which is the silencing of the little guy, the crushing of original thought, the censorship of change coming from a nobody, the killing of the spirit of the individual artist. That's what I see on Twitter. I saw it on Facebook so badly that I got off. But I still see it on Instagram and I still see it on Twitter. And I'm only on those sites. I, I, I stayed on Instagram because at the time all, all of my sons were there. And I just wanted a way to keep up with their lives beyond personal communication. I wanted to see some of the things that they were posting and publishing to their friends as well. And I wanted to sort of take a back seat, be a fly on the wall with respect to uh, my son's lies. But now I'm only following and followed by one of my sons on Instagram and he doesn't post hardly at all. And he shut down his Facebook and he doesn't have a Twitter. And I think he has a, a Snapchat, but I don't have that anymore and I don't want one. Um, so Instagram has kind of sort of de- become irrelevant to me. But since there is still one of my sons on there and I'm connected with them there, I keep it. I keep it. But I literally have one follower on Instagram and it's him. And that's the only reason I have it. And Twitter, I'd love to delete it. I'd love to delete it because I really thought it was the last bastion of hope for the little guy to be heard. But time and time again, and like I said, I've been on there since 2009. So one of the earliest accounts on there, I really am. I think the earliest is late 2007 or early 2008, or I think I got on there within its first year anyway of, uh, of existing. I think February 2009, something like that. Um, I really thought it was the last bastion of information and truth and ability. What I liked about them is that you could post pornography, you could post swear words, you could post, you know, anything. They didn't censor, but now they're starting to censor. Now Twitter themselves, because of Trump and all that crap and all the animosity and the violence that came out from people, Twitter is starting to censor. You know, you can no longer use the word cunt in a post on Twitter. It automatically censors you. Somehow it has determined that there's no appropriate worse, wor- a use of the word cunt, even though British people have been calling each other cunts for years. Suddenly it now means that you're attacking a woman and violating her in some sexually harassing way, apparently, according to the, um, the algorithms that run searches on everything you post, and they silence you immediately. Um, and on and on. There are a number of other buzzwords they read and sentence structures they read that they silence. But that, that aside, look, I'm not talking about angry posts or posts that use profanity necessarily, although I think it's disgusting to, to silence a post because you use the C word in it or something. That's ridiculous. To make people afraid of using the actual word fuck in their post or into some way hiding it, which they do too. You notice on a post, if you read it from some famous person, it'll say more to read. And you have to click to open up posts that are brilliant and wonderful. But because they maybe were a little controversial or used a swear word, they were buried and hidden by Twitter. That's disgusting. You know, I don't want to have to scroll all the way down and click on some link at the bottom to see the best posts. I'd like them to be the most liked, but of course they're not. Why? Because everybody likes the thought that everybody has. Everybody's just going to promote the thought that everyone had right away like well that's funny someone typed it first well that's funny yeah that's funny yeah that's funny that's funny ah 40,000 likes on something as dumb as well that's funny because it's the thing everybody thought well I don't want to see that I want to see the cool thoughts the funny thoughts the brilliant thoughts out there by the whack jobs and the original people and if they use some profanity all the better because I swear and people swear and that's reality you know And I know that some people want to live in a world where people don't swear. Well, they can go live there. I'm happy to live in what's called the real world where people swear. And in my real world, since I've been a little boy, the coolest people swear and the dorkiest ones don't. Now, I don't like people that swear all the time, 
but nor do I, I, I more, I, let me put it this way. I don't like the people who swear all the time, but I dislike even more the people who go out of their way never to swear. And if you ask me, what bothers me more on Twitter? Somebody using the F word or somebody putting an F and then star, star, star. The latter, the latter. I am very much more bothered when someone goes out of their way, when they want to use the F word, but then don't because they don't want to offend people. I don't like that. I don't like that in the real world. And I don't like that on Twitter. Now, there are situations where it's wrong in the real world. Like if you're at a meeting, a public meeting, and you stand up and you're speaking. I don't think you should use the F word in public like that in a formal meeting of some sort. Or if you're in church, I don't think you should be swearing in church so that other people can overhear you. I also think if you're out in public at a park and there are children playing, you shouldn't be swearing out loudly so that the children can hear you, okay? So I'm all for understanding that there are situations where certain types of speech you should, you know, maybe hold it to yourself and keep it down. But Twitter, the halls of Twitter, look, they should just put an R rating on it. I don't understand. They allow pornography. Women are allowed to post videos and pictures of their entire bodies naked and them having sex. Literal pornography. But you can't say the cunt word? Literal pornography is okay to post on Twitter, but you can't tell someone to go jump off a building. You're encouraging suicide. This post is, you will be blocked for 12 hours now. What? To say to someone, go take a hike, you know, jump head first off a building, loser. That is hate. That's encouraging suicide. Look, as far as I'm concerned, if you're creative and say something funny like that, you should get extra posting time. I think, I think when people uh, tell people to kill themselves in a joking way or a hostile way, it's, a, it's brilliant and wonderful. And I think more people should kill themselves. <laughs> Because of the awful things they think and say online. But to silence the people who say that, look, they're not threatening anyone. And the idea that, well, what if you depress them? Do you really think that if an asshole has said something so assholish that someone's telling that asshole to kill themselves, that that asshole's ever going to really kill themselves? Of course not. They're an asshole. So protecting them from being told to kill themselves when they're a person who's way more likely to commit murder than ever take their own life is ridiculous. And all you're doing is punishing the, the smart people from telling that asshole that he's an asshole. But regardless, look, <laughs> that's, that's the minutia in terms of how you should be able to argue with people or how hostile your words should be able to become or what use of smear, uh, swear words. I'm not talking about that. Okay, because that's... That's Twitter actually silencing and censoring at the inception. And I don't like it, but that's another issue. I'm not talking about Twitter, the app, the algorithms actually silencing and censoring. I'm talking about the people on Twitter. I'm talking about the people on social media silencing original thought, the kind that Twitter would allow, the kind that's not hostile, the kind that doesn't use swear words, but the kind that is outside the box, the kind that is different. The kind that, it, according to the stupid people, is stupid. I don't know how many times you have to post something on Twitter that is actually quite intelligent and be told, you're fucking stupid, and Twitter lets that happen. You can be told you're stupid 50 million times by Twitter, and Twitter's like, A-OK, not a problem. You're stupid, jump off a building. That's, oh, you're encouraging suicide. You're blocked for a day. <laughs> I don't know, man. Way more offensive to me is telling an intelligent person who made an intelligent remark that you don't agree with because you're stupid, telling that person they're stupid, that person should be blocked for a month. I mean, I, I swear, if you're going to have an algorithm, let it be intelligence filter. And they, every post should be run up against IQs, high IQ'd people, and compared to words and sentences that high IQ'd people through the ages have used. And if it comes back kind of intelligent seeming it should be protected at all costs and every idiot who tells someone they're stupid when they've said something intelligent when their their post should immediately be scanned and, it, and the algorithm should determine this post is a moron this person is a moron this person who called this intelligent person is a moron and that person for calling that person stupid should be banned from the site forever <laughs> that's what i would like i would like social media 
to be a process of weeding out the dummies. I, would, I wish that social media was the process of exalting and supporting and loving the original thinkers, the truth tellers, and silencing. If there's going to be a cancel culture, please, why can't it silence the stupid? But it doesn't. The stupid rule. The stupid reign supreme. Or if not full-fledged stupid, then just the benign, the boring, the vanilla, the safe. That's who reigns supreme. And in the process of that being true, the other people are silenced. And it's tragic. And it's awful. And I think David Bowie would hate it. And I think he did hate it before he faded from this planet. And... I feel like the worst thing that could happen in our culture on this planet is the silencing of original thought and the making people ashamed to have original thoughts and the making people feel awful and afraid to share original thoughts. I think that's the death of America, of the world, of learning, of process, of growth. And like I said, my entire life I knew the number one thing that was always going to be true about me was I was going to speak my truth. Right or wrong, I was going to speak my truth. I was going to speak my truth even if it was unpopular. I was going to speak my truth even if the masses tried to shut me down. But I never foresaw social media. It is, the de- it is a defeatist and depressing uh, element it is very hard to believe in yourself and to have hope when social media is out there constantly telling you you're not good enough, constantly telling you what you thought and shared is disagreed with and is wrong. It's one thing uh, to go out into the world and to make your stay, stand and stake your claim and do, try to do your original things and take the hits the world gives you, but it's another to take those hits daily, hourly, online. It's another to see your very essence and thought at its inception ripped apart by the masses. That's the kind of thing that really makes you pull in your antenna, isolate and shut down. And whoever would have thought that the, the greater ability to speak to one another would cause the most original and brilliant among us to shut down from speaking to anybody. And that's what I think social media is guilty of doing. And I think it's going to continue. I really don't see any hope in sight. And yeah, that's very depressing. The fact that what should be encouraging the sharing of brilliance and originality is doing just the opposite. It's silencing it more and more each day. What, what can we do about it? I don't know. Pray, pray, laugh, be strong. I love you. Yabba da boop